Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for financial advisors. Today's episode is The Limitations of Building a Billion Dollar Boutique Firm Within a Wirehouse. It's a UBS breakaway story and a conversation with Terry Cook, managing partner of Parcion Private Wealth. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you are not already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page of our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, please feel free to share it widely. We recently surveyed subscribers to both this show as well as our Perspectives blog to get their input on guests and topics, and it came as no surprise when interviews with breakaways led the pack in responses. As listeners shared, it's the candor of the guests and the conversations around the unique journeys that they found most compelling. And many noted that these stories helped them to better visualize what their own journey could look like. That is, turning what is an intangible into something real and comprehensible so that listeners could better understand not just the thinking behind each advisor's decision to make the leap, but also the inherent differences that these breakaways realized once they left the wirehouse world, sharing what they can do as an independent that they couldn't as an employee. With all that in mind, we thought it important to kick off the new year with a breakaway story, one that was both relevant to many advisors, yet unique as many leaps are. So just over a year ago, Terry Cook was managing a billion three in assets at UBS, a business he built over nearly three decades in the wirehouse world, 17 of them at UBS and nine years prior at Merrill. As Terry tells it, his 13-member team operated much like a boutique multifamily office within the wirehouse, serving a small number of clients, primarily affluent, multi-generational business owners. And as time went on, he found his clients wanted more from his team beyond investment management, from booking travel to advising on healthcare choices, all things, as he put it, that would give any wirehouse heartburn, should you even consider it. In fact, when Terry submitted a plan for a presentation for a group of prospects that were high net worth entrepreneurs, it was returned redlined just days before the presentation with many lines deemed not the advisor's role. As a self-proclaimed planner and problem solver, Terry realized that firms like UBS don't have the scale for a business like his. Ultimately, to meet the additional lifestyle management demands of his clients, be more nimble, and offer a broader suite of services, he'd need to make a change. So in October of 2019, Terry and partner Kyle Cowett and their team left UBS and launched independent RIA firm Parcion Private Wealth in Bellevue, Washington. In this episode, Terry talks candidly about the journey both as a wirehouse advisor and now as a business owner, including what he and his team needed to consider the decision to make the leap. 
how clients responded to the change, challenges they faced along the way, and how the ability to serve clients without limitation has ultimately impacted their business lives. Let's get to it. Terry, thank you so very much for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Mindy. Thanks for having me. Terrific. Lots to talk about, so let's jump in. I guess let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Terry. Well, first and foremost, I'm a father of three wonderful kids and, you know, been in a business, our business here going on, what, 27, 28 years. Um, Spent my whole life in the Pacific Northwest. Love it here. Love the outdoors and uh, love what I do. How great. Okay, so let's rewind a little professionally. You and your team left UBS in October of 2019 to go independent and form Parcion Private Wealth. Tell us a little bit about what your team and business looked like when you left UBS. Yeah, there was 13 of us at the time on the team, and we, we, we operated very much as a boutique within a wirehouse almost operating kind of as uh, an RIA within the firm. So focusing on business owners, focusing on planning, focusing on a holistic approach, and relatively few clients, larger uh, families, multi-generational wealth, um, but uh, and serving pretty much the same families that we're serving now. And about how many families and about how much under management? When we broke, we had about uh, 45 families that we worked with a little over right around 1.3 billion and uh, we're at just just about 1.5 billion today. Nice. Okay, so we're going to unpack that a little bit as we move forward, but I just wanted sure. that for perspective, so thank you. So tell us what the name Parcion means and why you chose it. Well, as it turns out, naming a firm isn't as easy as as you might think. I'm sure you you understand and, and appreciate that, but Parcion, um, we were very excited to choose it, and we ha- had a marketing firm that helped us come up with it. But Parcion, as it turns out, means partner in old French, which really resonated with us. As you know, we work mainly with business owners, and they understand partnerships, and we truly look at our relationship as partners to the families that we serve. So it just it, it flowed naturally, and we also partner with other resources that are um, our resources to the families that we work with. So it just kind of flowed naturally and it makes for actually a nice story when, when we're asked that question. So thanks for asking. Yeah, no, 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 of course. And I love it too. So how long did it take you to get back to your pre-move assets in terms of AUM from the time you left till you got back there? Nothing about the last year has been normal, right? But it took us less than a year, honestly, to get asset levels back, which was gratifying. And and most of that happened prior to the pandemic really busting out and, and lockdowns and whatnot. So we were gratified by that, that we were able to do the bulk of it relatively quickly. Um, it was under a year and not necessarily, I would say about 90% of the families that we invited to make the make the move with us have come over and we're still uh, we're kind of in the transition phase for the last of those families so it's it's gone better than expected but you know kind of exactly as we'd hoped 
Right. So I guess a couple things about that. I imagine that having a small number of relationships, 45 relationships in your case, made it easier to handicap those that were going to move and more likely that you'd be in deep with them and confident about the move. Yes. Although, as you know, it's a major change in 26 years with wirehouses. And that's how I, I built the practice. And that's, you know, was was my uh, industry experience to that point. There's always a bit of trepidation, sometimes more than a bit in, in a move like that. So while I was confident on the strength of, of the relationships and the depth of the relationships, there's always, you know, there's always a bit of stress around that and uncertainty. And I think that that's actually a really good point. I think that even though I am certain it's true that having 45 families money you manage as opposed to 450 makes it an easier move, but not necessarily any less scary. There's always surprises. You're you're essentially putting your clients up for bid when you're going to move, especially when you're making such a significant model change going from wirehouse employee brand name recognition to independence. So So talk to us a little bit about that fear. How scary was it? And what ultimately helped you to sort of say, you know what, I'm doing it regardless? A lot of preparation went into it. I mean, I think there was probably three years of planning prior to the move and lengthen because, you know, you're running a practice while you're planning a new company, mostly on your own, right? Myself and, and, and two partners, that, that helped me in this. And also, you know, our clients, you know, our account minimums are 10 million um, and some larger families. Our clients are everybody else's best client or aspirational family that they work with. So at a wirehouse, there's a, a number of folks who are there and building their business just by being at a wirehouse and waiting for quote unquote distributions, right? So we knew people were going to come after our clients, but we are also confident in what we do for those clients and what we did do um, not a lot of others could replicate. So there was that concern and that stress, but that was lessened by the preparation and obviously the depth of the relationships. Okay. So you mentioned that makes perfect sense, but what were the kind of things that you were or are doing for clients that you felt confident others couldn't replicate? Right. Well, we really built, as you know, we operate kind of a, as an independent multifamily office and we partner with business owners and entrepreneurs and their families really to help them optimize wealth events and you know what comes after a liquidity event and do that through smart planning a lot of internal resources on the team, strong you know, advocacy around their interests, not just the business interests, and then obviously the, the, the prudent investment management. So the team really is our secret weapon and the expertise, and it was built around the needs and the resource needs of families, business owners, multi-generational wealth. So it was really, it was the process of how we deliver all that and also the, the people and their expertise and their understanding of these families. It's really hard. Uh, and I, you know, we can talk about specialization and have, having niches, but it's really hard for the general practitioner, quote unquote, to demonstrate or replicate what we were doing around this very special subset of, of families. 
Yeah, and you mentioned at the beginning that you are bringing additional resources to clients. So is there anything specific that you are doing for these wealthy clients that they couldn't get done elsewhere? Like a specific example of what that might be? Not that they couldn't get done elsewhere, but people don't approach the business. I, th- I think other practitioners aren't approaching the business like this. I do like to think that we have, just from the number of liquidity events and number of families like this that we've been through, you have a number of reps and see things over and over again, and you become an expert, right? You can deliver a higher level of service and solutions in that. So the specific examples, I mean, we knew everything from you know, obviously the, the cash flow modeling and the depth of giving them visibility of what a potential exit would look like to them uh, prior to going through that and all the, the pre-liquidity event planning, et cetera. And again, that's not a specialist that we bring in from outside. That's the, the resources of the team. But then we'll also help them book their traveling and some of the lifestyle and family supports, help them with uh, review outside investments, help them uh, select a concierge doctor, help them with family meetings and family governance. So it's all of these family and lifestyle support services that are really impactful for somebody going through something like this for the first time and it's new territory on top of obviously the advanced planning work and and the prudent investment management. Yeah, no, no. And those tangible examples are helpful. Are those additional resources like helping them to, to find a concierge doctor and travel planning and whatnot, things that you were able to offer under the UBS umbrella? It's things that our clients demanded, right? But no, it gives any wirehouse heartburn, you know, when you're helping with book travel or select a a doctor or especially help evaluate outside investment situations and whatnot. So that's the hard part for these types of families. That's what they're demanding beyond the investment management, which we do a fantastic job there. And I would say even better now, but that's getting more and more commoditized to a certain degree. And so the ability for us to look beyond that, reach beyond that and really help that, which is most important, clients, families, clients, health, their lifestyle, not as experts, but as the ability to bring in experts in these respective areas, that's a game changer. And it's, it's been huge for, for our practice. Yeah. So what was the lens into that? In other words, clients are demanding it, but many of them, it sounds like, have been your clients for a very long time at UBS. So what was your lens into saying, hey, I need, I'm going to have to leave and build an independent firm if I want to be able to really offer them what these clients are demanding. You know, first off, UBS is a great firm and there's some really good people there, some great advisors who, who deeply care about their clients. But it doesn't scale when you're delivering some of this. If you think about the 7,000 advisors at UBS or the 15 to 20 at Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and the hundreds of thousands of clients that they serve or attempt to serve, our clients look very specific. And they're going to build, the firms are going to build resources around what the bulk of their clients need and what is most cost effective. And the bulk of those clients at UBS did not reflect specifically are the families that we were trying to serve and solve for and and meet their demands. And so just over time, I wish there was a 
I had a, you know, an epiphany at, at one point and, and the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't know if I can point to that, but my analogy is when we transitioned, you know, as much work as it was and is, it was like taking the ankle weights off in serving these families. Now we were untethered and could specifically meet their demands and help them in the areas that they needed the most. And now it's different for every family. Yeah. And so in the first place, when you first began practicing, how did you decide to build a practice focused on the liquidity planning for the ultra-affluent market? Mm -hmm. I began at Merrill Lynch 27 years ago. And back then, the different industry, as you know, the industry changes due to the demands of clients and, and other aspects fairly rapidly. And back then, it was all about opening as many accounts as you could. And I'm a planner. And I like the relationship with our family. I like to solve problems for them. I like to move forward them towards their goals. And the more clients you get, the less deep you can get, the less you can do that. So the model in our industry, from my perspective, has always been, how do you get more efficient to scale more families? And when I pivoted from Merrill to UBS in 2002, I made a point at that juncture to kind of look at who I enjoyed working with the most, who were my best clients, but mostly who who I enjoyed working with the most. And obviously, those, that became business owners for me. They had the most complex situations. They, you know, not to mention business owners generally, the small business owners, the most affluent, especially around here, and they had the most complex situations, and they also value the team. They understood the leverage of a team, and our approach resonated with them. So when I made that move in 2002, we very definitively focused on business owners and then built out the resources around what they told us they needed. And our business has taken off ever since that we got more more narrow in, in focus and more disciplined around that. Yeah. And was it scary then to jettison or take focus away from a broader client base and only focus on a smaller subset of clients? It's still scary at times. Honestly. Yeah. We're not made up. You know, those that kind of grew their practice organically didn't grow it initially by turning away large clients. We operate in the land of Microsoft and Amazon and Starbucks, and there's a lot of very wealthy corporate executives here with fascinating stories and complex needs. We can help them. We just can't look them in the eye and tell them we are the best for them or that others can't do it. There's no firm that I've seen that's better equipped with resources, structure, contacts, and expertise that can help the small business owner planning for a liquidity event. And clients, families want experts. They demand experts and they can sniff out if you're just an inch deep in what they need and in and, and their situation. And so it's just been really helpful to us to really stay disciplined around that focus, around yeah. that niche. 
So let me pivot back to the time you were thinking about leaving UBS and going independent. I want to just go back to something you said that a lot of the resources that your ultra-affluent clients demanded were services that gave the wirehouses heartburn. And I think that's actually a good analogy because it's probably true. But isn't UBS Private Wealth or Merrill Lynch PBIG or Morgan Stanley Private Wealth built to serve the $10 million plus client? Yes. And like I said, there's some great advisors that are very astute at it and, and at delivering that, mostly from the investment side of things, not from the planning, family and lifestyle support side of things. That doesn't scale. You know, when you're helping families evaluate private air travel solutions, that doesn't scale. And that, that those types of things do give large firms heartburn. But that's also what's most important. Those types of things are very important to families. I I still remember a presentation I was giving a number of years ago to a large group of business owners, and it was about advanced planning and some of the strategies around that. I sent it into compliance, and I I got it returned to me a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, uh, right before I'm supposed to give the presentation. And half of it was crossed out with red ink that said, not the FA's role, not the advisor's role. This was simple wealth transfer planning. So that's the system there. And there's some very good people trying to change that at all the firms. But as you know, these large global national banks are not known for their ability to adapt and their nimbleness and and whatnot. And so, again, great firms, great people. We came to the decision ultimately to make a change because we couldn't wait around, so to speak. And then we found all kinds of other benefits to the change, and which I'm 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 happy to talk about. But it's just uh, it's just been a great move. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to talk about that. But one more question. So. I agree with you. You know, this conversation and any other like it isn't meant to bash the wirehouses or UBS specifically in any way. And actually, in fact, as the wirehouses go, UBS is considered the boutique of the wirehouses. That seems like a good thing. So where did it fall short? I think it's hard to say. I'm I'm focused on my practice, so I can kind of speak to that and, and where we were bumping up against issues or felt held back. But at the end of the day, it's still a big business, right? With 7,000 advisors and I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of clients ultimately. So, and there's got to be, there's resource decisions with that. And there's resource decisions on technology, on investment platform, on services, on specialists. And they're going to spend those resources. This is my opinion. And from my view, they're going to spend those resources on how to benefit the bulk of the advisors and the bulk of the clients, kind of the the bell curve. And that wasn't necessarily our clients. And so these resources of which the fees that my clients were paying went towards didn't necessarily support their needs. And so that was the point where uh, we had to look at other options in direct support of what we wanted to deliver and what our clients were demanding. And so what else did you look at at the time? In other words, were there other options you might have considered other than going independent, or did you think that independence was the only way to do it? You know, having already been at Merrill, another very good firm, 
And as you know, when you're successful and you're growing and you've been in the business for a while, they're all calling you. And so explored that. And there was a number of different models, including joining other RIAs. We we operate with a very specific process around a very specific client. And we love what we do and we're excited about how it's resonating. And so at the end of, of the day, we really wanted to do it on our own. And that's not for everybody, I, I would say. I think there's some very good um, other independents out there, firms that do great work. And if, quite frankly, if we found one that was very similar, we might have considered that, but really wanted to take this and see where we could go with it. Yep. So let's focus now on the looking ahead. What are the kinds of things, as you mentioned, that you're able to do as an independent that you couldn't as an employee? You said you mentioned being more nimble. So maybe you can give us some specific examples of how that translates. Yeah, it's really in a in a lot of ways, kind of the big areas that relative to kind of where and it would help drive our, our decision was in the technology and access to investment opportunities. As I spoke before, wirehouses have to make decisions on resources. And again, they're known for a lot of great things, but over-investing in the latest technology is not one of them. So here we're in arguably one of the best areas of the country for technology in the Seattle, Puget Sound area. And we couldn't access the technology that was out there. Our clients couldn't be the beneficiaries of, of that. And not to over fixate on the technology, but technology, some of the latest technology is what provides nimbleness and communication and whatnot. So that was a big game changer to us when we could select not only the services that our clients needed, but also the technology that supported what we were trying to deliver uh, as much as possible. And then in keeping with that, there's a lot of local investment opportunities here that we couldn't access before. You know, we work exclusively with entrepreneurs and in the area with arguably kind of one of the most talent-rich environments for entrepreneurs, especially new companies informed. But yet we could never introduce any of these opportunities to our clients. And so because that was all controlled, you know, by decisions back in New York and had to have scale and whatnot to be able to roll out to 7,000 advisors. So now we're able to on a selectively on a selective basis introduce our clients to opportunities here local, investment opportunities local, and entrepreneurs want to support other entrepreneurs. So while it might be just a corner of their portfolio, the opportunities in venture capital around here are pretty exciting. And not only from an investment standpoint, but just it scratches that itch after somebody sells their company. Many of our clients want to support other entrepreneurs and be somehow involved, even if it's as in an advisory role or just a cheerleader. Yeah. So, and those examples are so helpful, but let me ask you a question. So when you're first pitching to your clients, you're approaching your clients, you've left UBS, you've formed an independent firm, this multifamily office called Parcion. What did it sound like? How do you tell your clients or ask them to join you and tell them about this great new value proposition you're building without bashing or negating the work you were able to do for them for so many years at UBS? Right. Great question. And then obviously these discussions happen 
after we've already made the decision, right? right. So right. There's a, there was a lot of um, not only made the decision, but actually formally made the move. So a lot of trust in the relationship and, and whatnot. But what it really came down to in large part is, again, remember all of our families started up a business of their own one day and our business owners. And as much as really in the last 15, 16 years, I've worked almost exclusively with business owners, I was never actually one. And that resonated with them, you know, that I was finally, um, we were finally going to not only be able to advise them on the growth and optimization of their business, but we were going to be business owners. So they liked, they appreciated, they um, in some ways even remembered when they started a company because they saw a gap in the market and that they could do better. And so they appreciated that. So maybe it was a little easier discussion for us. All of the things, you know, technology, the ability to deliver a broader suite of services, be able to adapt to their needs and be responsive. The fact that we weren't as conflicted because we were working directly for them. All of those things they understood and and resonated with them. And at the end of the day, they appreciated the fact that we were going to be even more aligned with them than we were before. And I'm presuming they responded pretty well to that? Yeah, really well, ultimately. Now, again, these were all very successful, smart, business people, right? So they asked all the right questions. This was not a blind, you know, they liked us, they know what we did with them, but they wanted to check all the boxes. And so they, they looked under the hood. Um, we talked about where their funds are going to be custodied, the, the technology behind that, the safety and security, all of those things. You know, these are very discriminating, smart business people. And that is what I love working, love about working with them. And it sharpened us and made sure that we have a good story, a thorough story, and has helped us bring in new families since then. So it's really been a great exercise. limitations you run into as an independent? Any issues replicating? I mean, you mentioned technology is better in a technology-rich environment platform in terms of private investments. Interesting. But any issues at all with limitations on any sort of technology platform, services, thought leadership, et cetera? Uh, Good question. I would say the limitations are the fact that there's so much choice. And there's only so much hours in the day and everything takes time to implement, to learn. So we've found it's really important to do your homework, to ask around, because it can be overwhelming, you know, the, the technology and the interplay and between the different technologies. So that's the number one thought when you ask that question is just sometimes being handed a limited package of technology and whatever it is, is nice, right? Because you just don't have a decision to make. You just got to make it, try to figure out how to make it fit. Now we can structure the technology to exactly what we need, but then there's the learning curve aspect of it, not only for your clients, but for your team and, and yourself. So We hear that a lot. There are very few successful financial advisors that wouldn't be able to wrap their head around and be jazzed by the same things you saw, the ability to customize, the ability to have more control, the ability to offer better resources, the lack of limitations. But when and if they decide not to go independent, 
it's often because they feel overwhelmed by too much choice and say, we just want to focus on what we do best and leave the business management and the choices to others. And you're right, there's comfort knowing that there are limitations and guardrails. So I guess, how did you ultimately get past that? Well, we keep our eyes on the horizon and what we're trying to achieve and provide. And um, we're not afraid of extra work and extra time. I mean, I think you don't start up your own firm if you're trying to minimize the work. You can join another firm and there's a lot of value in that. So really, it's just by rolling up our sleeves and and figuring it out. And as you go, you get better at it. You ask better questions. You learn very quickly. And we all know this intuitively, but the low-cost provider, as scary as it is to go in and manage a P&L for the first time, especially early on when you don't have any P, <laughs> the tendency can be to just, what's the cheapest? Oh, they look the same. I'm going to go with the lowest cost. Well, there's usually a reason for that. And so there's all these lessons that you learn as you go on that you get better with. And we've done that and continue to learn and we'll always continue to learn on that. Then you look up and you see, gosh, look what we're doing now. Yeah, look what I accomplished, of course. Yeah. 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 Terry, I know that one of the things that's very important to you, you're really committed to recruiting other advisors to your firm to grow inorganically. Why is that? What are you looking to accomplish by doing that? Well, it's not just advisors. It's everybody throughout the firm. I mean, our message, our process is resonating and our growth is only going to be impeded by any inability to attract talent or looking at the other way, we're going to grow as fast as we can attract good talent. And we've been able to do that so far. So inherently, our model attracts people who are very entrepreneurial in nature. The fact that we're less kind of bound by predefined plans and approaches gives us the ability to serve our clients in ways that involve not only a rock solid understanding of wealth management, but also allows us to tap into new approaches. So we're looking for that kind of rare combination of skills and talents that at times can make recruiting difficult. But when we find a candidate that fits the bill, that candidate is almost always happy in this environment and in this culture. Yeah. And speaking just to an advisor, a financial advisor. So let's say an advisor who's at your former firm or at Merrill Lynch, at Morgan Stanley, or even who is the employee of another RIA firm, another independent firm. What is it that you believe Parcion offers that would make the firm a great, a choice destination for that advisor versus any other, either any other RIA or staying within a wirehouse? Well, first it's got to be that that passion and understanding around working with business owners and all the complexities that go into that. And like like I said, the planning work, you know, we're looking for and, and would expect talents around the traditional wealth management, but, you know, more broadly, we're looking for the kind of that Renaissance man or woman, those who know more and seek to know more than most. It's not just about the investment side of it. Just really want to understand the nuances and dig into that on the planning side and the family side. So just a general understanding about things that affect our clients and their trust, their, their, the M&A needs there, estate planning, obviously. You know, In short, they need to have an aptitude to understand bigger and often more subtle issues that are more important to our clients. And how about joining Parcion? What would be your advice if someone were saying, look, I want to go independent. I'm thinking about either building my own firm or joining Parcion. What would be the benefit of joining Parcion? Well, there's certainly the learning curve of the last year 
from an operational side and uh, the ability, the, the fact that we've really attracted some world-class talent, both in the operations and on the investment side. So there's the benefit of that. And there's, there's also, you know, I would assume these would be individuals who are focused on the business owner space. And again, by us being disciplined around that focus and the network that we have here in not just the Pacific Northwest, but the West, we're really building a brand around that. So whoever joins us is going to be the beneficiary of that brand. And that puts the wind at their back when trying to build their practice and attract clients. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense. And how do you think about structuring compensation versus a more traditional firm like a wirehouse? Yeah, I think, you know, the big difference is that a smaller shop, we have obviously more visibility into our team's talent and how we can develop those talents. So that in turn helps our team members be more successful in in serving clients and ultimately makes them more valuable to the firm. I believe firms like ours are inherently more of a meritocracy. We have the ability to better identify, grow, and reward talent compared to a traditional wirehouse and then structure the compensation around those people. And certainly, you know, there's things like kind of a more customized deferred comp and then the equity participation part of it and growth participation and profits participation that you're just not going to find in a larger firm. That's not how they're set up. So true, definitely true. But how about in terms of transition compensation? So if an advisor is at Merrill Lynch and is looking at joining, say, Morgan Stanley or UBS or joining Parsion or any other RAA firm, Morgan Stanley and UBS are going to offer that Merrill Lynch advisor a whole lot of transition cash up front. But I assume a firm like Parsion isn't in the huge cash bonus transition upfront bonus reward. So how do you think about transition compensation and how could an advisor get comfortable? Yeah, I love your value proposition. I get everything you're saying in terms of everything you're saying sounds great, but I walk away from an awful lot of unvested deferred comp. How do I make peace with that if they're offering me a whole lot of cash up front and you're not? Right. Well, let's just assume for the sake of this discussion that we find that perfect fit, right? Because we're, we, uh, you know, we're $10 million minimums or, or a certain net worth you know, as far as clients and that. So not everybody's book would fit with that, but there are definitely some folks out there who who it would. And if we find that that fit, really what's going to be important to us is we find that person with an entrepreneurial spirit that understands that we're building something great and we provide the best environment for their clients, but more importantly for them to succeed and that they want to be a part of that from an equity standpoint and grow and that we give them the best opportunity to grow. So at this point, and this could change, we could be talking a year from now and change our approach. But at this point, we're not looking for that person who effectively wants to sell their book and retire and sees that upfront payment as as part of that. We're looking for somebody who wants to join and grow with us and help us build something really special. Yeah. And I think that that's right. It's someone who says, I'm willing to bet on myself and I believe so much in your value proposition that I'm willing to trade cash up front for a more long-term view, betting on myself and the trust that your equity is worth more. Us, Our equity combined will be worth more than just my equity alone. 
Exactly. Yeah. Well said. And that's the type of person that, to your point, that's the type of person that we're wanting. And again, at all positions, you talk about the differences between what we can do here on a compensation structure and what we could do before one of our three partners, uh, equity partners, is uh, my longtime assistant. CSA at UBS, Jenny, and in the UBS structure, the wirehouse structure, she's not a partner. She knows it's not the way it's set up. But I think everybody listening to this discussion that's in the business knows that assistant who is core to growing the business and keeping it together and whatnot. But yet in the wirehouse structure, he or she is not viewed as a partner generally. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. The ability to equitize support staff or important team members in a customized way can be a major draw. I've actually worked with many teams that have moved where that was one of the main drivers to be able to do so. So that absolutely resonates. And what successes have you had or potentially will have in recruiting advisor talent? Yeah, it's been gratifying. It's probably the biggest surprise to me so far is the ability to attract talent. It's hard here in the Puget Sound area. You're competing against some very good firms that are hiring like crazy and Amazon and Google and Facebook. And, you know, it's a different skill set to some degree, but it's still it's part of that talent pool that everybody's trying to uh, to go after. So we've got a better story now. And it turns out that not Everybody, you know, or there's a significant amount of people that don't want to work for a big global bank. They like our story about growth, the flatness of our structure here and how everybody's uh, got a say to do their part and the, the opportunity for growth and development within a growing firm like that. So uh, there's also from an expertise standpoint, what we do for families has resonated with attorneys or CPAs that are not excited about billing for six-minute increments the rest of their life, but really like working with the business owner and delivering solutions to them and don't want to necessarily keep track of every, like I said, six-minute increment. So we've had great luck, but it's hard. It's probably my biggest job. And like I said, the most significant thing that's going to determine our ability to grow. Yeah, no question about it. Final question, Terry. How do you spend your days now as a business owner versus how you spent them as an employee at UBS? And I ask that because one of the things I think that a prospective breakaway is concerned about is I like managing money. I like developing relationships. I like being in it. And I don't want to have to worry about putting toner in the copy machine or unclogging the toilets. And so how much does your day-to-day change as a business or has it changed as a business owner? It's certainly changed. It's more fun now uh, and, and not less work for sure, but more control. But to a large degree, the large part of my day hasn't changed that much. I've got more tools. I've got better technology, got better access to opportunities for clients. And so the bulk of my day is very similar. More people to manage because we're growing. And so it's a little bit more about helping them communicate to clients and with the planning work and and whatnot. Early on, I made probably a few of the best decisions that I've made, and I've made mistakes too, in hiring a COO and an operations team to do all that. 
And these were people that I was lucky to get. I would have never been able to attract this level of talent before. And so they're seeing the growth and they're giving the autonomy. And so they pretty much run the day to day. Same thing. I did that um, in, in the investment. The investment team has, has hired some talent there. So that has helped a lot. And now I still have meetings to get updates from them and make some major, you know, the, the bigger strategic decisions and whatnot, but it can all be solved for. But that first year is a lot of work and there's a lot of nights. I don't want to sugarcoat that. If I just joined another RIA as, you know, as a plug-in, then, then it, it would have lessened a lot of that. But, you know, we were determined to to kind of build this on our own. What I hear you saying is it's not for the faint of heart, but it was well worth the effort. I've never worked so hard, Mindy, but I've never had so much fun. Yeah, it sounds that way. And I think everybody I've interviewed said the same thing. They all say, oh, my regret. Why didn't I do it sooner? Nobody ever says, I wish I could go back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Why, why didn't I do it sooner? Is, But everything's right. Everything happens for a reason. And this was the right time for my team and for our clients. You bet. Terry, this has been absolutely delightful. And I know you're only a year and a couple of months out and launched this with the pandemic, uh, having started in March, really taking over a good percentage of the time you've been out. So my hope for you is that it continues to get easier and more fun over time and can't wait to hear more about how you grow this thing. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for all the work that you're doing for the industry out there and for, you know, quote unquote, liberating um, folks who, who are true entrepreneurs or truly want to kind of see where they could take things. It's stressful and it's good to have. And that's one of the things we had a good team around us. And it's super important as you're making this transition. It's like I tell business owners, you know, you don't want to go through a sale for the first time without a bunch of people around you who have been through many. And that's what you do for folks. You give them visibility and comfort. So it's great work and uh, appreciate you and your team. Thank you for that. I appreciate that too. I appreciate the kind words. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. We often talk about how advisors' mindsets have changed, having evolved to wanting more from their firms. And likewise, clients too are looking for more from their advisors. As such, many advisors, particularly those managing high net worth clients, are coming to realize that the wirehouses cannot answer these changing demands. As Terry put it, large firms simply can't scale when it comes to offering customized services. For him, making the leap was like taking the ankle weights off in terms of how he served his clients and grew his business. Now untethered, he and the team at Parcion could specifically meet their clients' demands and help them in the areas that they needed the most. I thank you for listening. And I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the Tools and Resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration requires. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002 or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note, that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to advisorhub.com 
for sharing this podcast with its viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence.